Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hi there. Here we are again. Um, we have definitely been on the road this week. Um, yes, we have. Yes, we have. Linda, we have been in the air path roads on the air horn. Um, we, we've been, we haven't actually been on a road, but sure a lot of airplanes. A lot of airplanes and some road, too. We went to Columbia and specifically Bogota this weekend. We had the best time. We met so many wonderful people. We didn't meet anybody in any of the cartels that we know of. In fact, um, they think they've got that taken care of, or at least it's underground, so that people are feeling safe. And it's a wait a, beautiful wait a second. Wait, wait, wait a second, Linda. I thought the reason we went to Colombia is we we felt if we could teach those those drug cartels how to be uh, better parents and have stronger families, maybe it would clean up the problem. Oh, I know, but it was really hard to get anybody to organize that for us. So, yeah, we um, didn't really know who to call, did we? We just we just <laughs> ran out of ideas there. Right. We did but have I'd a like great say, time, I mean, though. We're on different phones, so if we talk over each other, it's because there's a little bit of a delay today. But I would like to add to what you said, honey, that uh, Colombia. I mean, we're not we're not uh, promoting tourism in Colombia, but I'll tell you what. Bogota is a beautiful, beautiful city. We'd only been there very briefly before, and it's it's perpetual springtime. Every day of the year is about 68 degrees, and the nights are about 50, and, and they're almost 8,000 feet high, and uh, just a remarkable place and totally safe. They've really, they've really taken care of uh, President Uribe, the president before this last one, everyone... And Colombia loves him as a hero because he made Colombia safe again. And it's a beautiful country, as many of you know. It has it, the flag symbolizes everything in Colombia. The top of the flag is yellow or gold, symbolizing the wealth of the country, and it is enormously wealth, wealthy in terms of minerals and resources and so on. And then the blue in the middle symbolizes both oceans because it, it has a coast uh, on the Atlantic and on the Pacific, which is pretty wonderful. And then the red symbolizes the blood that's been spilled to have freedom, or you could say in more recent terms, to get rid of the, uh, of the drug lords. But, hey, this is a parenting show. We're giving a travelogue, but we met some great parents in Bogota. We did, and I should just amend one thing you said. You said it's totally safe. I don't think anywhere is totally safe, but uh, and we were in armored cars, so that was made us feel totally safe. But we met some of the most amazing people. What great families Latin America is full of! There, just wonderful. Hey, let me say this, Linda, before we go on, because we also went to. Monterrey, Mexico, and Guadalajara, two other places that many think are not very safe, but they have good parents, too. But before we get to those, let me ask you a question, Linda. We always get on this show and we talk about the things we've been teaching other parents and other families and so on, but I think one of the things we leave out too often is the things we learn, the things other people teach us. And I, yeah, for example, tonight we're meeting with a group that we call the Inklings, and it's a 
bunch of our friends and we learn from each other. We sit and talk about our roles in life and about what our ideas are and what we're thinking. And the whole, the whole excitement of human experience is learning from each other. And I just want to say to you, honey, because I haven't asked you this yet, and I want to see if it matches up with mine. What did you learn on this recent trip? What did you learn about parenting and about families? Oh, my gosh. I'm so sorry that we only have a half an hour here to talk about this because I learned so much. First of all, I learned how amazing it is that Latin families eat together every day. I mean, really, we, every audience, he said, raise your hands if you eat with your family every day. All of them raise their hands, sometimes twice a day, sometimes a long lunch and then a short dinner or vice versa. But not only do they eat, they talk. They talk and talk. We spent about sometimes two hours around the table with the most fabulous food, fruits you've never seen, food you'd never thought of, and it was absolutely fascinating. We talked about everything, not people, but ideas. It was so great. Everything from politics to religion. Yeah, before you go on to the next thing you learned, let me just comment on that one. And and again, the emperor said... They don't usually have dinner together. What they have is lunch together. And lunch in most of Latin America, and certainly in Colombia, for most people, starts about 3 o'clock. It starts when the kids get home from school. The dads or the moms, whoever works, comes home and typically will take two hours between 3 and 5, and I'm generalizing, but that's kind of the average, and sit down at the table and eat together. And and it's a very leisurely lunch because the main purpose of it, other than nourishment, is conversation. And there's a wonderful Spanish word that we we love, and we don't speak any Spanish, but sobremesa. Sobremesa, which means above the table, I guess. And that's what that's what it means. Is after you you're done, you sit, and above the table, a lot of discussion goes on, and people talk, and kids are involved, and kids tell what they're thinking, and parents teach their children, and it's just a marvelous, marvelous kind of a a tradition. Now, would it be practical to do that here? I don't think so. How many of you could come home every day at three and have a two-hour lunch with your kids? It's, it's so interesting that it's such a cultural thing. I mean, if you, if it's your priority, then that's what you do. If the if the whole system is set up that way, that's the way you do it. But I have to say there's one other complication, or I should say thing that makes it easy for them, and that is that so many of them have uh, maids and cooks and people who are helping them. And we call it thy help, but boy, did we appreciate that help because... You know, they served the food, they cleared away the dishes, they did the dishes, and then that freed up our time so that we could just sit and talk, which is almost unheard of in the States. In fact, it was so well, funny but because... Well, I don't want I don't want to give the idea that the only way you can have the sobre mesa and the long lunch with your kids in Latin America is if you're rich enough to have maids, because a lot of them don't. I mean, the people we were with did, but I could have seen that happening just the same way, although it might have moved into the kitchen after dinner and maybe they would have done the dishes together or something, but it's not, I, I know that's not what you were implying, but I don't want to imply that the, the only way you can have this wonderful tradition of eating together and talking together is if you're wealthy, because of course well, that's not true. Of course not. And except that it does make it a lot easier <laughs> to talk 
And, and I, of course, I mean, we, there are families that sit and eat their rice and beans and talk and talk, which is so great. But I just found it so amusing because they get used to the, this help. And every household we were in where the help was treated so kindly and like they were part of the family. And um, it was interesting because they were all headed to Miami for what they call Holy Week, which we're talking about next, next which is this week before Easter. And they were kind of going with very trepidation because they were leaving all the help behind. And one of the, our hosts, actually, at a beautiful farm where we, were, where we went up in the mountains, said, I learned to mop the floor. And I told the maids that. And they were so entertained that I could mop the floor. He was just delightful. And so they, they take care of themselves. They know what it's like, but, and, which makes them appreciate the help all the more. Well, so, okay, so number one thing you learned, Linda, was the importance and the wonder uh, that it does for communications if families actually sit down and eat together, whether it's lunch or dinner. What's the, what else did you learn from the South American families that we've been with this last week? I, I learned a lot from the kids. I just was so amazed that the kids were so conversational. They, and maybe it's just, the particular families we were with, I don't know, but they looked straight in our eyes. They responded to anything that we asked them and anything their parents asked them to do. They were incredibly obedient. I mean, there was a 16-year-old whose mother admitted that when she talked to her on the phone, she was in a big band performance and she couldn't come earlier. And then so the driver had to bring her up later. And and her mother said, you know, she really doesn't want to come because there's nobody here her age and she's really unhappy because she'd much rather stay there with her friends. But I told her, this is family, and she, she needs to come. So she did, and she turned out to be the delight of the party. She was so fun. She stayed overnight. She played with the little kids. And honestly, I was just very impressed with the maturity of these kids. And you could see that they all had their own issues. It isn't that they were perfect. Um, and their parents were worried about this and that school and grades and so on. And another one that I think the Maria, the 16-year-old's parents, were just worried that she was going to be the president of Mexico. But um, it really was so delightful to see those children and their reactions to adults, yeah. which I think we need to do better in our country. I agree. I would say that was the second lesson, is how involved a lot of those parents got their children in the conversations and so on. And the third thing I'd like to add that I learned on this entire trip from every pretty much every Latin family that we visited. And you listeners, I think you understand that when we do these presentations, we, we, we indeed have a big meeting with all the parents and so on and basically give a speech or a presentation or hold a discussion. But the other part of it is that we have hosts and the, the families that, that are hosting us, we spend a lot of time in their homes and with their children and with their families. And the third thing I think we can all learn from Latin American culture in general that has to do with families is how remarkably respectful the families are to the grandparents and how and how the extended family means I don't want to put down Americans but I, I will say it just very bluntly extended family in Latin America means vastly more than it does in the United States. I'm not saying that we don't love our grandparents and and uh, like to visit them and so on, but 
in Latin America, when you say family, you're not talking about the parents and the kids. You're talking about family in the larger sense. And the grandparents are honored. They are the patriarch and matriarch. Uh, the children uh, and the grandchildren listen to what they say. And it's really interesting. For example, one of our hosts was saying that uh, because our subject matter was entitlement, and he was saying, I'm, I'm really struggling not to have my kids feel entitlement because when we go on an airplane, they all, they all want to go first class. And he said, I say to them, listen, if anyone goes first class when our family travels, it will be your grandmother. If we have enough money for one first class seat, it will be your grandmother. If we have enough money for two first class seats, that will be your grandfather. And if we have enough money for three first class seats, that will be your mother. And frankly, son, you will be in the back of the bus no matter what. <laughs> and I thought it was just really interesting the way the way they, they, they have a pecking order in their family and it respects seniority. It's really quite wonderful. And so it I is. Well, actually, we, we have to take a break here, but we'll come back and give you some more entertainment about these wonderful people in South America, and we especially love the grandparent part. Hey, and, and if, if when we come back, it's just you for a minute, Linda, it's because I'm parking. I'll park underground, and I'll join you shortly, but uh, you take over coming out of, the ba- out of the break, and I'll be there All right. before you know it. And we're back uh, talking today about Latin America and families there and just very interesting things that we learned while we were there last week. Um, we really, uh, another amazing thing that I learned, one of our hosts, this wonderful woman named Sophia, took, us, took me to a basilica that was just near her home. And we went in there and it was full of people. I mean, I have seen cathedrals and basilicas all over the world, but I rarely see people in there. Just They're wandering around taking pictures or whatever, but not sitting in the pews and worshiping on a Friday. It was very unusual. So I had so much fun watching the devotion of these people. I mean, I shouldn't say fun because it was awesome. Watching how devoted they were, this particular church had a Virgin Mary up in front who is the intercess, um, who intermediates for the deity. And apparently they go in there and ask for blessings when children are sick or a grandfather is dying or somebody has cancer or something. They go in and just plead for their lives. And when they actually come across and say uh, it happens and they are healed, they are so grateful. So, that church is dedicated to either asking for blessings or showing their gratitude. And they were amazing. There were, in fact, my host said, sometimes they get on their knees and they not crawl, but just go on their knees from the courtyard all the way down to the hall and to the front altar in gratitude for a blessing that has come to them. And so we, it was just so fascinating. Just as she said that, there was a father with a little boy by his hand, about a six-year-old, and a mother with about a four-year-old with her hand, and they were crawling to the altar on their knees, or walking to the altar on their knees. It was really delightful. So it was such an amazing experience to see that devotion. It was interesting that 
most of the people that we spoke to said, we aren't religious people, but there are so many religious people. I think we're back again, and we're on speaker here for a minute so we can talk to you together. And that sounded like, Linda, you were talking about gratitude and about how amazing it is that uh, we can learn another. Maybe we're still on the tack of what we can learn, that we can learn a lot from Catholics. By the way, the Catholics in South America, which is most everyone, are sure happy to have a South American Pope. They are thrilled about that. They are. It's kind of entertaining. In Colombia, we asked about that, and they said, oh, of course, we're thrilled to have a Pope in South America now. But Just too bad he's from Argentina. <laughs> they, they kind of have, and we know a lot of Argentinas who are wonderful people, but somehow they've gotten this in their minds that these Argentinas are a little bit proud. <laughs> and uh, so they just had to laugh. And then the great tennis player, Del Potro, won in a tennis match, and we said, oh, that's so wonderful, he's from Argentina, and then we thought, oh, he's from Argentina, and uh, they, of course they were delighted, they were thrilled to have, and, and commented so often about what a humble, good man he seemed to be, so. Yeah, let, let me tell you a little about the other two places we went to, not not again, it's not a travel, but to lead into what we learned from the parents in Latin America, we went from Bogota over to a wonderful city where we've presented many times to parents, uh, Monterrey, a city of about 7 million, uh, an industrial city, some, some liken it to Pittsburgh, but a beautiful city with mountains all around, but unfortunately a very, very unsafe city now because of the drug cartels and because Monterrey is just 150 miles or so from Laredo and Durango and the Texas border where a lot of the drugs come across. But setting that aside, what wonderful parents we talked to there and how how great they were. And then, then, Linda, you should tell a little about where we went next, Guadalajara, which has a special place in our hearts from years gone by. It does. But before you leave Monterey, I have to say that we've been so worried about our friends there because the the cartels have come into their businesses, these big businesses, if it's a business they're interested in. And um, they said, you know, either pay us a ransom or you're gone. Or pay us protection. It's the old mafia thing. It's pay protection. protection. Yeah, and they say it's protection. But anyway, many, many of our friends have moved on out of Monterey. And uh, But they said, you know, we just are very careful. We don't go to dangerous places, bars after 10 o'clock. Um, we don't let night the club, and have the children go out. The children the are come in and have strict curfews. But one of our friends there did say that their friend, who was not a member of that organization, but had been shot in the arm, and uh, that just the day before he'd been yeah. kidnapped and and ransomed, and he got away. But they shot him in the, in the arm, and he was okay. He got away, but it is dangerous. It's very, very scary. Now, let me, let me shift to Guadalajara for a minute, and the reason I want to is that uh, it was like going home in a way because 20-some-odd years ago... Eight. 28 years ago, hard to imagine, one summer we took our, all of our children. Let's see, we had eight at the time, eight children, and the summer, the, the winter before, we'd been in Mexico on a little short vacation, and we had discovered a little town called Ajijic, 
which is high in the mountains above Guadalajara on a lake, the largest lake in Mexico called Lake Chapala. And we had, we were trying to finish a book at the time, and we needed some time away from other distractions. So we went down there with all of our children. We actually went down on a train from Mexico, from Tucson, if you can a Mexican train, which is another story in and of itself. We'll, we'll tell you that story sometime. But what I wanted to say today is we spent a wonderful major part of the summer there working on this book, but also hanging out in this little Mexican town, riding horses. They, you could rent horses for $1 a day. Remember that, Linda? And we'd ride down the streets and look at the people in their houses, and guess what they were looking at? <laughs> Actually, we thought it would be so interesting to just ride through the town on nine horses. We thought we'd just be really inconspicuous. No. We were the American parade. American blonde people We were the parade, and it was so funny to see people come out of their houses and looking at us. But it was a delightful experience, and when we were on a plane on the way home, we asked our seven-year-old daughter what she learned from that, and she said, you know, I learned that you don't have to have shoes to be happy. What a lesson to learn, you know, and so it was a great, great summer, and, and, and we, we have remembered that and spoken fondly of it often in our family, and I've been back two or three times because uh, when when our kids would go on missions and they wanted to take a little special trip before they left on their mission, two of them had wanted to go to back to Ahihic, back to that part of Mexico. And also I should mention to Lacapaque, a little part of Guadalajara is a wonderful furniture building center and we had much of the furniture in our home had come from there. So the point is kids still remembered it and we remembered it. Linda had never been back and so after we gave our speech in Guadalajara, we, we had a wonderful host, Japanese man, interestingly enough, married to an Indian wife from Chennai, India, living in Mexico, talk about international, and he took us back up to the place we'd lived that summer, and it was delightful, but so were the parents, and I'm, in a way, that was the best group we had, did you think, Linda, in Guadalajara? Yeah, they were wonderful. They had read the entitlement trap which is our latest book. And so they really had some things to add to the conversation, questions, and uh, it really was delightful, uh, partly because they were smart parents. They're not really entitling their children, although all of our children live in a bubble unless we're living in poverty because it is just so easy to feel that entitlement that I need this, I have to have that next phone, I have to have this, that, and the other. But basically, they were very smart parents about explaining what it was that they could change. I mean, they're saying, we're very good about dinner time and talking with our children. We're not so good at not giving them things that they don't do. We're not good at letting them earn their own way and then have jobs and have responsibilities. So I think we learned a lot from each other. Let me just end with this thought, and then you can conclude, honey, but I... Uh, one of the guys, this guy that I was mentioning, a Japanese fellow living there in Mexico, uh, you know, very humble, hadn't said too much, and we'd been telling him all these ideas about how to get your kids more involved in service and go on humanitarian expeditions and so on. And then we're driving along, and he just happens to mention that they emphasize that a lot in their family and that his nine-year-old, two years before, when this boy was seven, had started a little club of his seven-year-old friends 
because they had seen on TV some of the problems in the world and they knew they had much more money than most people. And they started this little club of seven-year-olds called Help the Children, Please. That was the name of their little group. And every month they would meet and try to think of some way that they could help poor children, these little kids. And then they'd go to their parents and say, we have this idea. We think we should try to go down to this other neighborhood and help them with their clothes. Or have a bake sale to raise money for wells in India because this cute boy's mother was from India and they, they had seen the needs there. Anyway, it really was exciting to see these children taking the ball and running with it. Um, they, they were so cute. Why is it that all children are so cute, no matter where they are from? But honestly, little Mexican kids are so adorable. And uh, so we enjoyed meeting some of them. We also enjoyed knowing that they are on the right track in many cases. And that even though we, um, we try to do a good job with our children and we do some things maybe better than they do, they really do some things much better than we do, which so, we can take a lesson from. So let us end this show today with a theme that really has become, I think, the theme of this Hires on the Road show, and that is no matter where you go on the planet Earth, when you are talking to parents about their children, you will find people who care, people who try, and you'll find kindred spirits because you're a parent and they're a parent. Have a great week. We'll see you next time on Ayers on the Road. Bye-bye.